Although it's only been a week's time, there's so much to talk about on this week's episode. The Utah Jazz have been on a streak of really, really close games and heavily involved in trade rumors around the league. The 2023 Utah football schedule is released, and the running Utes have an upcoming home stretch to help them get back to their winning ways. And for our weekly draft segment, what are our starting five musicians of all time? That's going to be a good one. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. Here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. As always, Richie, take us away. All right. The Utah Jazz are currently 23 and 24 and sitting in the eighth seed in the West. Um, I feel like the record is like almost the same as last week, like a one game difference. Um, But we're in a different seed somehow. We went from 11 to eight. Uh, Teams around the league are expecting us to be sellers, sellers at the deadline. And with the emergence of key future players like Walker Kessler and Ochayak Baji, it is possible that we see multiple trades before the deadline. Should be interesting. And the 2023 Utah football schedule was released, like we said earlier, and that was released in the morning today on Pac-12 Networks. It features what could possibly be the toughest schedule the Utes have faced in their Power 5 days, but more on that coming up later. The running Utes are currently 12-7 and seven after back-to-back losses on a L.A. road trip. They have a good opportunity to end their three-game losing streak and continue with an overall positive start in conference play as they get ready to play the Washington schools at home. It should be interesting. The the big talk around town right now, though, Richie, is the Utah Jazz are once again renaming their home court from Vivint Arena back to a fan favorite, the Delta Center. Richie, what are your thoughts on this uh, rebrand once again, I guess? Uh, We did the uniforms, and now we're doing the arena again. I think I think it's awesome. I don't know if as long as we're going back in time, I feel like we got to spend like a year with the Energy Solutions Arena. But I mean, I guess we can just jump straight to the Delta Center. That's fine too. Um, I do say I I will say like it's a lot of the older Jazz fans, people that were around for the Stockton and Malone days, are really really excited about this. Like I'm excited about it, but I didn't grow up with the Delta Center. I grew up with the Energy Solutions Arena, and to see kind of this excitement, I was on the game. I was at the game on Friday um, versus the 76ers, or maybe it was Saturday, where they officially announced that it was going to be the Delta Center, and the crowd was really, really excited about it. I kind of wasn't expecting that much excitement about a rebrand like that, um, but I think the way that they marketed it, uh, the video that Ryan and Ashley put together was awesome. I think just overall, it was it's really awesome. It's going to be a really, really exciting time as a jazz fan. And I'm sure you saw this tweet Thatcher too. I think you might've even told me about it, but uh, somebody said that this is pretty much like the fifth Horcrux or something that we have to destroy before the jazz can go in and and be a championship. So, Hey, we're almost there. I, I, I do think that was probably one of the greatest tweets about the rebrand is that we had to destroy the, the new names of, what will soon be the Delta center in order to have the jazz go back to the finals. Um, I think overall Ryan Smith, like taking over has been trying to bring back the excitement of 
the I don't want to say vintage era to offend those who grew up, you know, watching 90s basketball, because technically it's not that long ago. But for those who, right, like grew up in the glory days of Utah Jazz, right? Like that's the teams they watch, the Delta Centers, like such a historic place. Although it's technically the same building, I feel like it's funny that all the different generations of Jazz fans still call what is right now Vivint Smart Home Arena as like what it was when they grew up. Like our parents call it the Delta Center. We call it Energy Solutions. And then, you know, younger fans now call it Vivint Arena. I just think it's funny that everyone kind of has their own branding of it. But going back to the Delta Center, I just thought, I mean, I feel like this is true for a lot of Utah sports fans in general, but they're very passionate about basically everything. And the fact that Twitter basically exploded because of a, a rebrand of or renaming of the arena itself, um, I think just shows the dedication of the Jazz fans. But it's true that although it's just like a name change, I think Ryan Smith is really trying to elevate and bring back um, those great days of jazz basketball. And although it is just a name change, I think it, it it means so much more for fans because it brings back memories. And I think it could drive in more revenue for, for fans. Obviously, he's the owner. He wants to bring in more revenue. And I think you start to bring back these old memories. People want to come back to the games. And although the jazz are technically on a down year this year, uh, the trajectory and the potential for this team looking into the immediate and long future is pretty big. And so I think this re this rebranding is just setting themselves up for what should be a really good on um, this next decade. So, uh, but of course the other talk of the town right now is the NFL playoffs and this NFL playoff segment is brought to you by DraftKings. The NFL playoff picture is locked in my go-to place for divisional round action. And that place is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. So to kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the divisional round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet on the NFL playoffs anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Richie, we saw a lot of good games in the wild card. Um, I thought the, the NFL playoffs so far have lived up to their name way better than the college football playoff. But now we've got four really great games heading into this weekend. Give me your review thoughts of what happened in the wild card and what you're looking forward to this weekend in the divisional rounds. The biggest game was Jacksonville chargers. I think that was the game everybody had their eyes on. Um, and it was obviously the craziest game of the weekend. Uh, ja- uh, Jacksonville overcame a 27 0 deficit and beat the chargers in the fourth quarter. And it was just a really impressive win. And Trevor Lawrence just remains undefeated on Saturdays, which I think is going to be interesting because they do play the chiefs on Saturday. So we will see if that theory holds up. Um, I thought there were some other good games, though. Minnesota um, Giants was a pretty decent game that came down to the wire. Um, The 49ers had me feeling pretty good about my pick um, for them to be the Super Bowl champs. I mean, I guess at some point you do need really good QB play in the playoffs. I think really good quarterbacks win those games. Um, And so we'll see if Brock Purdy's up to the challenge. Uh, the Bills Miami game was interesting. Josh Allen kind of hasn't looked like himself yet. 
So we'll see if he turns that around against um, Cincinnati. That game, the Cincinnati versus um, the Ravens, that was a great game. I thought it was really fun to watch Tyler Huntley, even though they came up short. He had just what was a really tough fumble to watch, um, reaching from the two-yard line, trying to go over. That led to the longest fumble return ever for a touchdown. Uh, that was just insane. But it was still really cool to see Tyler Huntley play. It kind of makes you think about, like, long-term, if he should be a starting quarterback, if he could be, like, a bridge quarterback for a team that has a young and up-and-coming up and guy. I think there should be some interest around the league after watching that. I thought he had some really good plays. He started out the game rough. His, like, first throw was an interception. Um, but then he put together some really, really impressive drives. He's good on his feet. And this isn't like a team that's necessarily designed to Tyler Huntley's play style. I don't know if any team is going to necessarily put all the cards on the table to um, full out revamp their offense around Tyler Huntley. But I do think if he did have some of the right pieces, he could be a really successful NFL quarterback and could be a bridge quarterback for one of these upcoming guys in this next draft. Um, So I think that's something to keep an eye out. Maybe he goes to Indianapolis and returns um and plays with Zach Moss again that would be awesome um I think there's a lot of ways that could go but yeah I thought overall it was a really fun weekend and we're in for another really good weekend this weekend yeah the the games this weekend are going to be really exciting and I agree with you I think uh going back to Tyler Huntley and the Baltimore Ravens he doesn't like the Ravens don't really have assets like as wide receivers you know as far as wide receivers go um you basically only have andrews as your tight end to go to but the Bengals seemed pretty mid for the most part right like the ravens aren't a fantastic team especially without lamar and the Bengals are now playing the bills again in a rematch um from the canceled game a few weeks back but the bills also seemed pretty mid and the dolphins almost put them on upset alert uh, shout out to Eric Rowe for stripping Josh Allen and, you know, putting the Dolphins ahead pretty late, giving him a chance. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Tyler Huntley has got a future. I don't know if he's going to be, has like a solid future as a QB one in the league. If anything, he solidified himself as a, a valuable option. Number two. Um, it, it's sad to say that, like that fumble will probably overshadow what was overall a very solid game in the playoffs and he was able to make some great throws, some fantastic runs. I mean, literally right before that fumble, I think he went off for like 40 yards on a quarterback scramble. Um, there's going to be a lot of uh, teams that are interested, uh, but at the same time, Lamar is looking to be shopping. A lot of teams are trying to pick up Lamar. So does Huntley stay, maybe try and fight out for a QB one spot in Baltimore. We'll see. But as for the games this weekend, um, I think, Beside, like Bengals Bills, honestly doesn't get me super excited. Like that's exactly the opposite of what I said last week. I thought that was going to be my number one game going into the divisional rounds. Uh, Cowboys 49ers. Uh, Cowboys completely dominated the Buccaneers, uh, except for the kicking game. Um, wow, that that was pretty hard to watch. I, I can't even make like a ten yard field goal, but it got to the point where I was like, dude, maybe I should just go out there and kick for the Cowboys because that guy was man. Mayor was not doing it for him. Um, I don't really know. I, I, I'm going to lean towards the 49ers, but I think the Cowboys offense is going to give them a good run for their money. Uh, Giants-Eagles, another one I didn't think was going to be close, but the Giants offense looked 
absolutely unstoppable against the Vikings. Uh, Eagles are have been playing fantastic all year, right? But it kind of leans and depends on how Jalen Hurts does. So that one's kind of a toss-up for me. Obviously, you're in Philadelphia. Um, home advantage definitely goes the Eagles' way. But I would not be surprised if the Giants go and upset down and up in Philadelphia. That That would be pretty interesting. As far as Chiefs-Jaguars, like you said, uh, Trevor Lawrence has not lost in a Saturday, I think dating back to his peewee football days. Like the dude is legendary when it comes to Saturdays. But I, it's just so hard to go against the Chiefs. They've been the Alabama of the NFL for the past little bit. And they, I like it's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. Um, again, they've had some down games this year, times where they've allowed their opponent to kind of sneak within reach. Uh, I am going to lean to the Chiefs on that one, but I think all of these games, for the most part, are going to be very good this weekend. Um, but for you, Richie, which two, which, uh, sorry, which four teams do you have advancing out of this weekend? Ooh, that's a that's a really good question. Um, that Bengals Bills game will be will be interesting. I know it's it's not kind of as hyped up as it has been with Bengals losing some guys on their O line. I mean, I really think if the Bills had Vaughn Miller this game, he would create just absolute chaos for the Bengals, especially with their linemen going down. Um, but I, I kind of do see the Bengals coming out of this. I don't know. Uh, Miami was pretty much able to run down Buffalo whenever they wanted to, and Miami didn't have their first string running back. Uh, they were with their second string, Jeff Wilson. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I think Bengals have a much better running back in Joe Mixon, I think that could be the key to winning that game. Obviously they have Jared Burrow, Jamar Chase and T Higgins, these guys that just make incredible plays all the time. And I think, I think the Bengals are going to come out of that one. Um, looking at the Jaguars chiefs. I, I really, I do. I agree with you. I think the chiefs are coming out of that one. The Jaguars win. I think it said more about Los Angeles than it did Jacksonville. I mean, all credit to Trevor Lawrence for overcoming what was, just a horrible first quarter for interceptions and playing a pretty good game the rest of the way. Um, but I, I do think the chiefs are going to take advantage of that game. And I think they're going to come out on top. Uh, like you said, the New York and Philadelphia Eagles game is really interesting. Daniel Jones had a really good week last week and they still only beat the Vikings by seven and the Vikings have a really, really bad defense. So I kind of see Philadelphia coming out of that one. However, like you like you mentioned, it does depend on Jalen Hurts' availability. He hasn't played in a couple of weeks. He will play this week, um, but we just don't know if he's going to be like 100% of the guy he was all regular season or if he's going to be like 85%. I think if he's like 85 to 90% of that guy, the Eagles come out on top. And then finally, the Cowboys 49ers, which I kind of think is the marquee game of the week. Um, I think... Dallas's offense was great last week, like you mentioned. Dak is kind of he's played really well. I mean, we were talking, we were pretty much ragging on him in his horrible week 18 he had in the NFL um in the regular season. And then he just played an absolutely gorgeous game last week. Uh 49ers are just a really complete team, too, though. And I think this one is is probably the biggest toss-up in my opinion. I could see it going either way, but I'm going to stick with my original pick. I'm taking the 49ers. 
Those are solid picks all around. I think I agree with you on every one. So we'll see how that goes this week. And then, of course, next week we'll update you. But solid picks by the man Richie Osler himself. But you guys aren't all here for the NFL playoffs. We're here to talk Utah sports. And as always, we're going with the Utah Jazz first. So much to talk about this week. Richie, what is your number one jazz note for us this week? Man, I feel like this is going to become like a weekly thing where we're just doing a rookie report because our rookies are so awesome. Uh, I want to start with Walker Kessler and just kind of give you a statistical overall view of the season that he's having. Um, also, the history on the pick from Walker Kessler. I think it's it's really interesting because do you know that that pick that they drafted, that Minnesota drafted him with was originally Utah's pick? I did. I did not know that. Yeah, it was Utah's pick that they traded to Memphis in a trade for Mike Conley. And then Minnesota traded it, uh, or Memphis traded it to Minnesota for some assets. And then, yeah, obviously we got it back in the Rudy Gobert trade. But I thought that was really interesting. That's not something I knew. Um, so kind of full circle moment there. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I was kind of blown away when I read that. But looking at Walker Kessler's per 36-minute stats, I like looking at these because it kind of puts his season perspective into better view. He's averaging 13-13 and 3.6 blocks. His game against Minnesota, I thought, was his best game of the season. Uh, he had 20 points, 21 rebounds, four assists, which was a career high, and two blocks. And he just looked really good in that, in that game. And that kind of that kind of made me some ask some questions about Walker Kessler and like the player that he is that I'll get to a little bit later. Um, but looking at some more advanced stats, win shares per forty eight minutes, Walker Kessler is fifteenth in the NBA. Rebound percentage, he's sixth in the NBA. Offensive rebound percentage, he's third in the NBA. Block percentage, he's first in the NBA. And blocks career game, he's fourth in the NBA. This guy is crazy. Like being top ten in all those statistical categories. As a rookie, it's kind of unheard of. Like, I think we could go through an exercise and look at every starting center in the NBA. And guys, there's a lot of them that we would take, that we would not take over Walker Kessler. Like, I mean, you have your Embiid, your Jokic, Anthony Davis. But after that, it starts to become a conversation that's really interesting. Um, that Minnesota game made me ask some questions about Walker Kessler and kind of like his player archetype though and more of what he could be as an offensive center i feel like the defense is there i think it'll improve as he understands the game better as he just develops more but offensively i think he has probably a, a decently high ceiling there's some things in that minnesota game and just some things in the last couple of weeks that i've seen that i've really liked he obviously is an elite rim finisher. He's able to finish around different parts of the rim, which I really like. And great lob threat. I mean, the pick and roll with him has been pretty solid so far. I think it'll only get better as he learns that more. Uh, that's one of the reasons I really liked having Mike Conley around this season, though, is because I think Mike Conley has been integral in his ability to um, read the pick and roll, to play in the pick and roll, and to be the guy that ends a lot of those plays with a dunk or an alley-oop. Um, he all, he's also an elite offensive right rebounder, as the stats said. And I think he's a pretty okay passer already. And if you ask yourself, like, what do you want in a big man in, the, in today's NBA? Uh, 
you're probably going to say shooting first, and maybe that's not something that's in the cards for Walker Kessler. Um, but you're going to say defense, rebounding, and passing if he's not going to be able to be a shooter. And I thought his passing has been pretty decent. He's not somebody that just gets stuck with the ball. He's able to keep it moving. I think that's really big in the long term and just the way that this Jazz team plays because there's not a lot of ISO. I think it's really good when you can keep the ball moving and when he goes to your center and you still have movement around your whole offense. And it just creates for a more cohesive offense, period. Um He's also, he hit a mid-range shot. It was a couple games ago, and it, it looked kind of nice. Um, it was just a simple pick and pop, but that's something that would open up the whole floor for this Jazz team if he's able to do that consistently. I don't think that's probably something we'll see a lot this season, but it could be something to keep an eye out for the future. Overall, I've, I've just been really impressed with Walker Kessler, um, and I think he's going to be the starting center for a while. I think when Olenek is back, you probably play Kessler and Olenek together and Vanderbilt escapes the starting lineup. And due to some trades, that might not even be an issue. Um, Ochai Agbaji is obviously the other rookie that I want to talk about. Against Minnesota, he had a great game too. 17 points, two rebounds, one monster block against Austin Rivers, which was just refreshing to see um, after all the games that Austin Rivers just torched the Jazz. He was six of eight from the field and three of four from three played 31 minutes. I thought that was probably the most impressive part was that he was playing 31 minutes and he was the guide guarding Anthony Edwards, who is pretty much their only offensive option. I mean, granted D'Angelo Russell had a great game that game. Um, I've been impressed with Agbaji's shooting in the month of January. He's shooting 57% from field and 52% from three on the year. He's shooting 48% from field and 38 from three. And I think that's a pretty solid jump. Just as he's gotten more minutes, he's kind of had his numbers go up a lot. Um, Most of his threes are coming from the corner. I think that's going to be something that could be big for his development um, is his variety in the three-point shots that he's taking. Obviously, it's awesome to have a guy that can shoot threes from anywhere. Um, And the way that he already is a really good three-point shooter from the corner makes me think that he could project as a good three-point shooter from all around the floor. He had one against Minnesota where he came off a pin down, um, just off a screen from the top and hit it uh, from the top of the key. I thought that was impressive. That's something that he should probably do a little bit more of in the future. Um, Another thing that's impressed me is he's just playing so well within the offense. Um, 89% of his makes are coming off of assists. And so that means they're e- he's either coming to the basket or shooting those corner threes. And you just love a guy that can just fit into an offense that doesn't make it stagnant. Um, I think offensively, he probably doesn't have a ton of upside. Like, I, I do think he is going to be a good 3 and D player, but I don't think he's going to be turned into like Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Um, I think kind of what we're seeing um could be amplified for sure as far as where he's scoring from, but I don't think he's going to be the guy that's creating his own shot at any point, um, especially not this season, but it is just, it's really fun to watch him. I think Agbaji has a really bright future. I've been really impressed with his defense. He's guarding the number one option on every team. I think that's something that's really impressive for a rookie and he's doing it pretty well. 
Uh, I thought there were some plays that he could have done better on, um, especially navigating the screen. There was one play where him and Vanderbilt just had a miscommunication. Anthony Edwards just shot a three over both of them. Neither of them contested. I think things like that will improve just as he gets more reps, as he gets more playing time. But overall, Agbaji has just been awesome. These two guys are awesome, Thatch. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of them as like long-term pieces of the Jazz? That's a, that's a great topic. I think, especially these last few weeks, have really shown that these two players can really play themselves into key roles into this franchise. There's a lot of talk, right? And we'll get more into it about um, the Jazz being sellers coming into the trade deadline, right? And especially as you're trying to build a team that's worthy of competing for the finals, uh, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. And so there's going to be very few players that have solidified roles for the foreseeable future. We already know, and we can easily guess that Markinen is the key piece moving forward. Not saying that he's going to be the number one throughout this entire um, run that the Jazz are trying to make, but that he will be uh, a starter moving forward. These two rookies have made an interesting case of themselves to stay in Utah throughout this next small period of time as the Jazz are reforming and rebranding their team. I don't want to be the, this kind of guy, but I wanted to see what Rudy Gobert and Walker Kessler have done in the new year. All right, small sample size, 18 days, not that many games, but this is kind of interesting. Walker Kessler in 2023 is averaging a double-double, 10.3 points, 10.3 rebounds, just under three blocks a game. Gobert's averaging 12 points, 9.9 rebounds, and just over one block per game. And Kessler is now third in blocks in the NBA this season, which I think is absolutely insane for an NBA rookie. Like, that is just impossible. And I think especially with today, the type of defense you have to play, the type of technicality you have to play with, like, you have to remember, this guy is coming off of playing college basketball where I feel like the paint and defending center is such a different game. Uh, the floor is so much more stout, high tempo, and the way in which you have to defend is so – it's so meticulous. Like, you have to be very specific in how you defend people. And not only that, you're defending the best, you know, drivers, playmakers, shot makers in the game. And so the fact that Walker Kessler is third in blocks in the NBA at this point of the season is phenomenal. And like you were mentioning earlier before, like he has a high ceiling. He's, he's getting to the point where he's going to be a starting center and a starting piece for this jazz team. And it's crazy to me to think that we gave up what, you know, was a generational defensive talent in Rudy Gobert for Walker Kessler, who's putting up, similar numbers as the former Utah jazz big man uh, in his rookie year. And I think Walker has solidified himself as a key piece. Agbaji's different. Um, he's been kind of thrust into this role, um, whether you blame that on injuries, um, a lack of other players really playing up to their level, but he's been given an opportunity to kind of showcase his skills. That last point that you made about him not being able to create his own shot and you know, becoming a Kawhi or PG type of player. I absolutely agree with that. I think the type of player he can become in a winning franchise is, if you want to put it in, in jazz terms, kind of like the Bogdanovich. He is definitely built differently, right? 6'5", 215. This isn't, this isn't Boyan Bogdanovich, right? This is, this is big boy right here. Um, 
but the way in which you have other playmakers create shots for him, I can trust that throughout his NBA career, he can be able to enhance how he shoots the ball. I mean, you already see, I, I love his form, um, right? He's still kind of learning when to take shots and his release kind of working on the timing of that. I think if he's able to get that down, the type of play that he's able to create, I think this was the kind of player that the last kind of jazz team was missing and what they wanted in a long-term run was a, a wing player that can defend and write these, these games that he's come into and been thrust into. He's been guarding the best of the best, right? Like you have to go back a week ago. He's, he's donning or he's guarding Donovan Mitchell. Um, and you know, they, he just had to play Philadelphia and Minnesota guarding, great players like Anthony Edwards and Austin Rivers, right? Quick players, um, but he's able to keep up with these guys on the defensive side of the ball. Something that Bogdanovich, while he had the offensive capabilities that I think Agbaji can't have, like just couldn't do on defense. And that's where we were really lacking. Um, and it was exposed in in multiple rounds of the playoffs. I, I don't want to be like speak ahead of myself or, or, or get way too ahead, but I think Agbaji can be that type of guy. Um. I'm not going to be a prophet and, you know, predict anything, but I, I just believe that his type of play is sustainable for if the jazz want to make a run and keep him in their franchise. I think as of right now, Kessler is a lock. He, he's, he's put himself in that position where the jazz want to keep him for the future. Like at the beginning when the jazz got him in that trade from Minnesota, I thought that was kind of just one of those leftover pieces. I think mainly Danny Ainge wanted the assets. And while that's, that could still be true. I think it's been, it's been informed to us that Kessler was a key piece in that and that Minnesota was hesitant to give him up because they also knew of his capabilities. Also, that would have been crazy if the Timberwolves had Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, and Walker Kessler. Um, I don't know if you call that like triple cities instead of twin cities. I, I, don't, I don't know. You come up with a Dude, new name. And Nas Reed. Uh, it's kind of underrated. Reed. Nas Reed like, is playing really good minutes of center. He's been better than Gobert this year. Oh, 100%. And, you know, you can you can blame that on how they've been running their system over there this season. But that would have been an insane, like, four and five spot for Minnesota. Like, they would, if, I, I'm interested to see how that would have played out. Maybe Kessler doesn't get the minutes that he's getting right now with the Jazz. Um, you know, that could definitely be part of the conversation. But Kessler has just such a high ceiling that I think he's moved himself into that locked position to stay in Utah at least for you know the next few years, run out his rookie contract, see where he plays, uh, moving forward after that. Uh, Agbaji, like I said, I see the I see the potential. I still don't know if the Jazz are willing to lock themselves down on him yet, but as of right now, I think he could be a great pickup um, from the Jazz in this last year's draft. Um, as far as that topic goes, like, do you see Kessler and Agbaji as key pieces of the future of the franchise? Or do you kind of see them as playing good basketball right now and not really sure if they will be here in the future? That's a that's a really good question. I think a bit of it does depend on their development. However, what we've seen from them so far this year gives us a lot of implications that they're going to keep developing, that they're going to keep improving because they've just improved so much from the start of the season up until now halfway through the season um i think that kind of a jump in year one is really really encouraging 
And so if you're the Jazz front office, I think you're going to be pretty pretty locked in on these guys. Like like you said, I think um, Walker Kessler probably has a more secure future within Utah. It's been clear through rumors that the only two untouchable guys on Utah are Walker Kessler and Laurie Markkinen. Um, I'm sure if there were a package for Kessler that they wouldn't necessarily deny it. Um, but it's pretty clear that those two guys are the two key, most key pieces going forward. And I think Akbaji is right there behind them. Um, I think if they did get the right offer, they probably wouldn't be too hesitant about trading him. Um, but overall, I, I think he's going to be a part of the long-term plans. It's just, that's the type of player you want in the NBA right now. Somebody that can guard, um, a couple positions that, I mean, he can guard forwards, he can guard guards. Uh, he's a three and D guy. That's like the archetype that people have been loving out, out of the draft for the last couple of years. Um, and so I, I think with him, you got a pretty decent talent. Um, you're going to keep developing him. Um, and, you know, if he keeps improving, like he has improved just within the season, Agbaji is definitely going to be part of the long-term plans. Um, Kind of an interesting topic you've been touching on a little bit, and you're kind of our expert on this, but what are the trade rumors that interest you the most coming from the Jazz? We hear a lot of talk about the Jazz talking with Atlanta and a potential John Collins handover. Um, we've also heard the Clippers are talking about a trade deal involving Mike Conley. What are the ones that interest you, you think are good for the franchise? What are the ones you think are kind of, eh, I don't really like it? What are your thoughts overall on these rumors going around right now? That's really good. I, I love this. This is this is my favorite. This is what I live for. Um, so I'm going to start with the top. I kind of want to bounce back on some of these with you too. Um, but the first one is that the Miami Heat are interested in a reunion with Kelly Olynyk. What are your thoughts on that, Thatch? Um, I the thing is, I I can't speak for Miami. Um, I think overall they've they've had just kind of an average year. Um, Kelly Olynyk, I think, has proved himself to be influential in certain parts of the Jazz's offense this year. I think he's great at moving the basketball. Um, I think he's, I think he's a really key piece on the offensive end, and he he's proved himself as a commodity. But on the defensive end, I just feel like it feels like he's just like a liability in clutch moments. And we've seen the Jazz have a lot of clutch games this year. He just doesn't seem to live up to the hype on the defensive end. So I, as a, as a fan, I think Kelly Olynyk should be one of the first pieces that the Jazz look to trade off. As far as the Heat go, like you have elite defenders um, in a few of your starting roles. I think Kelly Olenek, I don't know if they'd move him to like a bench spot. I'm not like a you know professional on this topic, but I, you can move him to a bench spot. I think his shooting is valuable in any franchise that he gets picked up in. So I think that could be I think that could be a, a pro for both teams. What are the what are the potential um, recipients or things that the Jazz would get back in that in that trade? Yeah, that's kind of where I don't see this trade happening. Is what the Jazz get back? Miami has a couple picks available, but. Um... History suggests that Pat Riley and Danny Ainge aren't going to make the most friendly deal for each side. I think both of them kind of have a disdain for each other. Um, as far as a trade as, as what the Jazz would get back, it would probably, 
you'd probably be talking about maybe Duncan Robinson, which he just has a horrible contract. He has not played well into that contract, and it's still got a couple of years on it. That's that's a piece that the Jazz aren't going to take on right now. Um, another option is Caleb Martin and maybe some extra salary filler. Uh, that's just, I don't know. If you're the Jazz, maybe you consider that if there's a first-round pick um, added onto that. And what kind of what I've seen is like Miami would include a top 14 protected pick from 2023. So this next draft um, with Caleb Martin, Miami is pretty much they're in the playoffs play in position right now. They have a really good shot at making the playoffs. Um, they're probably the sixth or seventh team, but sixth or seventh best team in the East. So I think that's kind of a pick that, you know, maybe it has a chance of conveying, but it might not have a chance of conveying and, if it doesn't, then that's probably a trade you might regret as the Jazz. So that that's kind of, I don't know. I'm not totally interested in dealing with Miami Heat. They just don't have enough right now. Frankly, uh, they're always making moves to get better players and to um, have a winning team. And heck, they deserve it. They've been to the finals, what, once in the last four years and conference finals last year. Um, they're always in, in the race. They're a team. Nobody wants to play in the playoffs, but yeah, they don't really have any of the assets I'd be looking for. Um, the next trade that this was reported by Mark Stein, I believe, um, is just that there's general interest in Mike Conley around the league. Um, two of the teams that have floated are the Clippers and Timberwolves. I don't think the Timberwolves are too anxious to do business with the jazz right now or any time in the future. Um, do, do you think they have PTSD? <laughs> I bet there's there's a bit of PTSD, yeah. <laughs> I also think if you're the Jazz, you probably don't want to make a move that helps Minnesota get better as long as you own their picks. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really see anything happening with Conley and the Timberwolves. The Clippers is a better question, though. Um, the Clippers are notoriously a team that makes a lot of noise at the trade deadline. Last year, they had their... Um, trade where they got Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Everybody thought it was going to be the end of the world that the Clippers were the best team. Um, unfortunately, they haven't played into that. Conley, however, would be a really interesting fit with that Clippers team. Their point guards are decent, John Wall and Reggie Jackson. However, I think Conley would just open up an entirely new way of playing for them. I think he's a better playmaker than both of those guys. I also think he's a better three-point shooter than both of those guys despite what recent playoff history suggests with Reggie Jackson. Um, however, Conley, the trade would probably look like this. It'd be Conley for John Wall, maybe Luke Kennard or Robert Covington. And then one of their young guys like Brandon Boston Jr. or Terrence Mann. Um, I'm interested in Brandon Boston Jr. He has some upside. He played really well in summer league. People were really excited about him, but he just doesn't really fit with their timeline right now. And he hasn't been able to get minutes. Um, overall, if I'm the jazz, I'm definitely interested in that. You would be getting a young prospect back, but you also have to think about the value that Conley has been adding to this current jazz team. He has been such a good mentor to so many guys on the team, to Sexton, to uh, Walker Kessler. And I just feel like right now I would probably be hesitant to trade Conley unless it's something where I'm getting draft compensation back. Um, I don't know. What are you, what are your thoughts on that trade with the Clippers, Thatch? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I just think Conley has been 
so influential in the upbringing of the key pieces for the Jazz in the future. Obviously, with his age, you know, getting older and older, I he still has valuable years left. And I think in that small time, that small window that he has, I think the Jazz really want to help him bring up these new players in the franchise of the future. I can't speak for Mike Conley. Um, I know at the beginning of the season, there was a lot of talk that he'd be gone or he was he was kind of concerned and felt like he was going to be traded come around this time of the season. And he just thought it would be tough for his family, right? He's got kids who are going to school, and so he'd be away. And he didn't want that. I feel like he's really liked his time in Utah. Um, obviously, he came here to win a championship. That's also on his mind. So I think it's really up to him kind of like, wanting to balance things. Obviously it's not his say, but I just think the jazz don't go ahead with that one. Uh, just because as of right now, maybe they deal Mike and talk about things in the off season. But I think, I think he could be a key part of this jazz team, uh, especially this year for the two rookies that we were talking about before. And as well, I think for marketing and trying to help him um, bring his game to the next level as well. Yeah, yeah, I think you make some really good points. Conley's, he's just been great for the Jazz this year, especially. Um, so I got two more, uh, then we'll, we can wrap things up with the Jazz. But this next one, like you mentioned kind of in the intro for this, uh, was John Collins from Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. This probably includes some draft compensation where the Jazz would be getting maybe a first-round pick or a second-round pick from the Hawks. Um, Collins' value so, reportedly is at an all-time low. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued with him as a player. Uh, he was born in Layton, Utah, uh, at a military base. Um, this year, he's averaging 13 points per game and 7.8 rebounds with pretty bad shooting splits for him. Um, shooting 50% from the field, 22% from three, and 80% from free throw. I mean, there's a lot of reason to be concerned about his three-point shooting, but I kind of as I've mentioned, I think that opens up a bigger question about Trey Young rather than John Collins. Um, Collins is an interesting player. He's had some really good years. Uh, 2019 to 2020, he was really good. He was shooting 40% from three and was having a career high in scoring, and it's kind of gone down since. He's just not a great fit on that Hawks team with what they do. However, I think he could be a really interesting fit on this Jazz team. Um if you trade him, he probably come, becomes your four. And I think you'd be pretty excited about him as a four. He does have defensive upside, um, specifically in that conference finals that the Hawks played against the Bucks. He had the horrific task um, of guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he did okay. He held his own. Um, I mean, you're not going to stop him. Giannis obviously went down in that series. And then Collins had some nice games after that. Um but yeah, the, the Bucks ultimately won that series, and John Collins' his career has just kind of been on a downward, down spiral uh, ever since that series, and kind of the Hawks organization in general has been on a downward spiral since that series. But I do think he would be an interesting long-term fit with this Jazz team. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, if you're giving away Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt as well as getting a pick back, uh, Jared Vanderbilt probably isn't a long-term piece anymore. I think with just the way Walker Kessler has played, uh, you can't really play those two together. I know Jared Vanderbilt occasionally shoots threes, but he's not as much. He's not enough of a three-point threat 
to where you could win a playoff series with those two on the court at the same time. Uh, John Collins, however, could be a three-point threat, and I think he could be a really interesting fit where you're not losing size, you're not losing too much defense, and your starting lineup would look pretty good. I think he would be an interesting player alongside Lowry and Kessler. Um, What are your thoughts on that one, Thatch? I was just thinking, like, purely from an opponent's perspective, like, if you had Markinen at the three, Collins at the four, and Kessler at the five, like, dude, those are some big guys at your three, four, and five spot, Um, which I think is such an interesting conversation. I, it... They seem to me like if you put that roster together, that sounds like an Oregon college basketball type of team, like just so freakishly tall, athletic. And if Collins could maybe get that shooting back, like that's a dangerous three, four, five. Like that's a dangerous triple combo, in my opinion, for the future. I don't know about you, but that's what I think. Oh, yeah. I think it would be, I mean, Walker Kessler is a seven footer, Markinen's a seven footer, Joan Collins is 6'10, I believe. So, yeah, it's definitely it would be pretty jarring to go up up against those three guys. Um, Kind of going along the lines of that four position between Markinen and Kessler, another guy that has been mentioned as soon as today was Rui Hachimura of the Washington Wizards. So currently the situation in Washington, they have kind of a a couple forwards in that four spot. They have Kuzma, who's having a really good year. Uh, Awesome to see from the former Ute. And Denny Advia, who's also having a pretty good year. And Hachimura is kind of the odd man out. He still has some upside. Um, he It's his fourth year in the NBA. He hasn't averaged below 11 points per game his entire career, even as his minutes have gone down year to year. I think that's pretty impressive. Um, a lot of people around the league are high on him. If I'm being honest, I'm not totally familiar with his game. I do know he's a three-level scorer. He can shoot from three. He's especially good in the mid-range, and he's okay around the basket. Um I'm not really sure about how he would be as a defender. However, he could be a decent fit around Laurie and Kessler. Uh, He would be playing that four spot. If you're looking at that four spot with Laurie and Kessler, you're really looking for shooting. And if you could have somebody that can shoot from anywhere on the floor as well as create his own shot um, that could back down guys, I think that would be pretty valuable. Um, I don't know exactly what that trade would look like. It could be a really low-risk trade, though. Uh, it does seem like the Wizards are anxious to get him off their squad. Um, and it probably wouldn't require too much from the Jazz. So I think that's something that you could definitely keep an eye out on. Um, but as far as trade rumors, that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm sure there will be more that uh, surface up for the next couple of weeks. We're getting closer and closer to the trade deadline. And it seems like a lot of teams are just kind of waiting to see what the jazz are going to do. Cause it feels like the jazz have a lot of control around the trade deadline this year, which is really fun to be a part of as a fan. Um, but yeah, overall uh, it's the, the ball is in the jazz's court with all this. It's awesome. Yeah. I think that's exactly what Danny age wanted going into this season. And you have to love it as a jazz fan that the jazz's phones will be ringing for people who are trying to offer them, some packages. It'll be interesting to see which ones they potentially accept and reject. So obviously it's going to get more dramatic and we'll get more information as the weeks roll along. But I mean, big news coming out for Utah football today, the 2023 football schedules were released and Utah football fans. This one's, I think this 2023 season one is a doozy. Um, 
I only see maybe one or two gimmies on this schedule, uh, but I'll just list out the games one by one. Richie, give me your top games, and then maybe your prediction for what you think the final record will, will be. Um, as of right now, the opener is uh, the second game of that home-and-home home agreement with Florida. This time it will be played at Rice-Eccles. Uh, there has been speculation that the game will be moved um, forward from Saturday, September 2nd to Thursday, August 31st. The university hasn't really accepted that, but it seems like it's kind of leaning towards Thursday, but we'll see what happens when and as that rolls along. Uh, second week at Baylor, and that's definitely not a gimme. Um, come home, you play your uh, Division II school, Weber State, um, and then you open up conference play at home against the UCLA Bruins. It's very quick turnaround the next week. Next, The next Friday, you're up in Corvallis playing the Oregon State Beavers, who can potentially have a very good season this year. Um, after that second Pac-12 game, the Utes will have a bye, followed by a game against the Cal Golden Bears at home. After that, they'll take a travel to South uh, Southern Carol, ugh, Southern California to play USC. Uh, but then this, I, I feel like this final stretch, I feel is where the Utes can maybe face some some difficulty. Right, USC is going to be difficult, but the very next week, Oregon at home. ASU at home, at Washington, at U of A, Colorado at home. Richie, what are the games that you want Utah fans to look out for? And what's the record you're kind of seeing the Utes finish with just looking at the games on the schedule? This last year suggests that Utah is a much better team at home than they are on the road. Granted, they did win uh, the Pac-12 championship on the road, but it was a neutral site. So I'm kind of keeping an eye out on all those road games, uh, specifically the one at Baylor. And I think the the quick turnaround, like you mentioned, um, from UCLA to Oregon State, you only have six days between those two teams. I'm not really sure how I feel about UCLA coming into, the, into this next season. Um, they have some pieces that could be interesting, but I kind of don't think they will be as good as they were last year, and having them at home helps. Um, however, going up to Corvallis to play the Beavers is brutal after six days of rest. Um, I mean, you're hoping for 10 days when you're going against that Oregon State team. That's just so physical. I think that is going to be a really big one. And then USC, I think that's a really big one on the road. And Washington, like if I had to rank it, it's those three games that are at the top of my rankings for the base games of the season. Um, yeah, I... I think Utah, if they take care of their business at home like they have, then they could find themselves in a really interesting position. Um, however, the fact that we have to play Washington, USC, Oregon State, and Baylor all on the road is going to be pretty brutal. Not to mention Arizona. I mean, Arizona deserves to be in that conversation. They're not a bad team at all. Um, but yeah, overall, I think this is way too early to predict because I don't know what our team's going to be looking like. We don't even know if Cam Rising is going to be playing week one. Um, even Whittingham suggests that he might be playing week one. But I kind of see Utah going 10 and 2 this this next year. I, I'm pretty optimistic. I just, I believe in this team. Uh, everything we've learned about them is that they're definitely going to find a way to get into the Pac 12 championship. And I think this year it's going to take more than it has the last couple of years. And I think they're going to live up to the challenge. Yeah, obviously, I think the key is going to be health for the roster. You already mentioned rising, and I think Keithy is an even more important role now um, without Kincaid. 
being on the team. Um, I agree with you. I think it's 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 looking like a ten and two type of schedule to me. What's crazy is Utah's playing eleven Power Five teams out of their twelve games. Uh, the other team being Weber State. I think there's only one other team in the conference that has that type of schedule, and that's Colorado. And they won't have nearly the type the the same type of result that the Utes will have at the end of the season. Uh, the amount of hype that Colorado is getting right now, though, um, saying that they'll you know have a good season, uh, I think they'll definitely have a better season than they did last year. But like you look at their schedule, it's kind of daunting. Um, the Buffaloes open up on the road at TCU. Um, then they come home against Nebraska and Colorado State. And their first two Pac-12 games are at Oregon and then USC at home. Like, that's a brutal five-game stretch for the Buffaloes. I think they grab two wins there out of the five, but I think that's a program that'll be interesting to watch. Overall, the conference is just so deep. Um, I think there's a case that there's, I don't know, maybe five teams uh, that are up for the conference championship right now. And I would say that's between Oregon, Oregon state, uh, USC, Utah, and Washington. Um, and sadly enough, Utah has to play all of those other teams. And like you mentioned, Utah's just hasn't proven that they can be a good road team, especially with the type of roster that they had this last year. Just they weren't able to get it done on the road. Um, granted, I think, I think two out of those two of those games at Florida and at Oregon, they really just shot themselves in the foot. Um, they gave themselves opportunities, but they weren't able to capitalize. I think the the two games to watch out for for me uh, will be the two November games. I think it's the two road back to back November games at Washington and at Arizona. Um, obviously, Washington's going to be a contender. You got Michael Penix, who I think is a front runner for the Heisman this next year. Uh, but like you said, Arizona is sneaky. Um, Utah hasn't had uh, the greatest of success when going down to Tucson. Um, even with good teams, right? You look at 2021, for example, uh, an Arizona team that went 1-11, and and it was basically down to the wire uh, until the final like four minutes, and then Utah had it in control. Uh, that's a team that can be scary. Uh, I'm not saying that's a team that's going to threaten for a championship, but that's a team that can definitely put you on upset watch. Um, but the, it's exciting for fans, right? You're playing basically a power five team every single week. There's a lot to look forward to, but again, like that's a challenge. And so the players have to realize, Hey, like there's no weeks off. Um, I think maybe the one power five team that you could, uh, basically pencil in as a win would be that Cal game at home coming off a bye. Um, I think that one's probably just got to be a gimme. Obviously you're not going to have that mentality as a player or coach, but as a fan, I think you can you can pencil that one in as a win. Everything else seems like it's really up for grabs. If, if Rising plays, Florida should be okay. But like if Rising doesn't play, Florida could still be uh, a great game at home and a toss-up. So I think 2023 is going to be a gauntlet uh, for a lot of teams. Um, Rich, I want to get your take. There's a lot of Pac-12 fans that are mad about USC schedule, mainly because they have a bye in week 13, the week before the Pac-12 championship game. So say they do make it in, that kind of gives them an unfair advantage. Some would be, some would say, I don't know if it really does just because of the schedule that they do play beforehand. Um, but what do you think about the Pac-12 giving 
one of its two traders a buy the week before its championship game. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I was just on Twitter today and I read an article from a USC beat writer who said their schedule was unfair and that they were at a huge disadvantage compared to the rest of the Pac-12. Um, I kind of think this is just something that happens naturally as you go through uh, the release of a schedule. Some teams are going to feel that they've got it more, that they've got a rougher road, that they are just getting unfair, unfairly treated in a lot of these situations. Ultimately, I think the conference doesn't really have any agendas. Um, I don't know. The, the way it landed with them having a, a buy right before the Pac-12 championship is interesting because they are the favorites for a lot of people going into this next year as the Pac-12 champions, and they'll definitely be in that conversation all year to get into the Pac-12 championship. So it is interesting. Uh, they will be watching from their couches maybe to see who their opponent is maybe to hope a couple of games go um, their way in that week 13. But overall, I don't think it's too big of a deal. Um, I just think these things happen and, you know, it, it'll just be nice to to say goodbye to USC uh, when the time comes. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. I think uh, Utah will become even more of a contender once the two LA schools leave, because then really I think you're only competing with, Oregon on a yearly basis, now probably Washington on a yearly basis, and maybe one other school. Um, but speaking of USC, like their first games, um, Nevada or sorry, San Jose State at home, week zero, Nevada at home, Stanford at home. Then they have a bye, and then ASU on the road, Colorado on the road, Arizona at home. Like I. I could see USC easily going 6-0 in those games. I think where they do kind of get screwed over is the second half of the schedule, where they go at Notre Dame, Utah, at Cal, Washington at home, at Oregon, UCLA. Like, besides Cal, like, those are very tough teams and teams that I think will all be within the top 20. So it'll be interesting to see how USC handles that tough road. Richie, are there any other marquee Pac-12 matchups uh, that you're excited for, or maybe teams to uh, maybe some upset uh, teams to look out for some dark horses in the conference? Oh, that's a good question. If I'm being honest, I haven't totally looked over the schedule. Um, however, to answer the second part of that question, as far as a dark horse team, I'm really interested in Arizona. I know I mentioned it before. Um, I liked their quarterback last year, Delara. I think he played really good um throughout the season and obviously had some really big wins at the end of the season i think they have some momentum going into this next year they got a new program new head coach i think a lot of that is going to go their way after some rough rough years and i think they could be a team to keep an eye out on um do i think that they're going to win the championship i probably wouldn't put money on it however i could see them making life difficult for a lot of teams that are on their way to get to the championship so they're definitely a team I'm keeping an eye out on. Um, I think Colorado, like you said, is probably going to be better than last year. I'm not totally buying into the hype. Uh, something about their hype video that we saw a couple a couple days ago of one of their coaches just telling them to all stand up, and then I, I don't know that just it really turned me off from their program. It kind of it kind of feels like some weird stuff is going on there. It's like high school football stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty skeptical about them, but I do think they have 
more talent than they did last year. And the thing about the Pac-12 this year is it just feels like there's going to be a lot of matchups that go one way or another for a team. Like we haven't even talked about Washington State, who Utah doesn't play this year. I think Washington State's a good team. They have a really good quarterback, and they're going to beat some teams. It's just it's a loaded conference. It's really deep. People are going to beat up on each other, and we're in for a really, really good year of Pac-12 football. Yeah, I think it's going to be another fantastic year for the Pac-12. I don't think they'll get a bid for this four, last four-team playoff, but I just think it's going to be an excellent year uh, for conference scheduling and for all the games coming up in the fall. So stay tuned. We'll talk more about that as the season 2023 season gets closer and closer. I think we're only like 225 days away. So it's just right around the corner. Um, Running Utes basketball is in the middle of their season right now, coming off a rough three-game losing streak, especially the two games on the road in L.A. Um, They seem to have still a little bit of upside, right? They definitely have some winnable games left. Utah can't get back on track, but – Richie, how can Utah make the most of this season, right, from what they've already done and what they potentially can do in this, you know, final um, half of their season? Yeah, that's that's where I think the narrative should be uh, at this point in the season. An NCAA tournament appearance is probably out of the cards, and that's all right, you know. This is year two of a rebuild that's going to probably take three to four years. Um, but Utah, they're currently 12-7, and seven in as throughout the season and five and three in conference play it's definitely better than they were last year um i kind of want to take a look at the rest of their schedule so we can get an idea of what the expectations should be should be so we play the washington schools at home this week and then you go up to oregon and play the oregon schools then you host the northern california schools stanford and cal um then you play colorado at home and so that's a big three-game road Uh, or three-game homestand. All three games are definitely winnable, although Colorado has had some nice wins this year. Um, Then you go down to Arizona, play the Arizona schools. Then you host the um, LA schools at home, and you finish in Colorado. So the season, it's you're dwindling down. You're getting into into almost the end here. Um, I mean, we're about halfway through conference play, so we're not quite at the end. But yeah, expectations have definitely shifted. Um, I think if Utah wants to make the most of this season, they've got to figure some things out, uh, especially offensively. I think the defense has been a revelation this year. It's been awesome. Um, according to Ken Palm, they're 27th in the nation in defense. That's something you can hang your hat on and be really proud about. They've also just won all the games that they should have won this year. They're 10 and 0 in quad three and four wins. That's awesome. However, they're 0 and 4 in quad two and two and three in quad one. Um, that two and three in quad one, that's all right. You know, that's not something that you're going to be down about. However, the own four in quad two, that's something you definitely will be down about. Um, and kind of like looking at this last LA road trip, I thought that UCLA game, you're without Carlson. UCLA is a really, really impressive school, um, really impressive team. And you don't feel too bad about losing to them. Even if it, if, even if they scored a hundred plus points on you, um, However, that USC game, that was winnable. That was a game that Utah was in, that they were winning at times, and they just kind of fell apart in the second half because they just didn't have enough offense. Uh, Madsen didn't play well. Stefanovic didn't play well. Wooster didn't shoot well. So I think if you're Utah, you really got to figure out some things on offense. I think there's two things 
that you can try to figure out and maybe create some building blocks going into the next couple of years with your program. I think the first one is limiting turnovers. Uh, that was really bad last year and it's stayed bad. And maybe that's a personnel thing. Maybe Utah just doesn't have the guys to be able to limit turnovers right now. However, I, I do think you got to try to figure out who those guys are going to be in the future. Um, you're at an interesting place with some of your guys where they're going to have to take a big leap next year. Um, and the leap that they've taken from year one of this rebuild to year two just wasn't enough. I also think create, creating more th- three-pointers is going to be huge for this youth squad. They're currently in the nation. Um, they're 232nd in three-point attempts. That's pretty, pretty low on the board. And this Utah team isn't necessarily a dominant inside team. And you have the shooters. So I think you're going to have to figure out how to create more three-point attempts. Like, I really do believe in Madsen as a shooter. I know he's having kind of a bad year, especially in conference play as a shooter. I also believe in Stefanovic. And I think Wooster has shown at flashes that he can be a shooter. Um, ben Carlson has shot threes. That's something to keep an eye on. Brandon Carlson has been a really good three-point shooter throughout his career, and especially this year. So Utah's kind of kind of got to try to figure out how to score from three. Because I just don't think you have the athletes right now to be a good a team that finishes well in the paint. Um, and I think that's got to be an area of the floor that you can try to dominate. But overall, the biggest goal of this season should just be trying to finish conference play with a positive record. That would be a huge leap from last year. You got to understand these things take time. Um, this Utah rebuild is a rebuild. It's going to take a couple of years. You're going to get some guys that are the right fit. You're going to get some guys that might not be on the team next year. And this is where you kind of figure out who those guys are and who they aren't. Um, And I think overall finishing conference play with a positive record would be something that this Utah squad could hang their hat on. And maybe even an NIT appearance. Um, I think that's something that Utah would also really hang their hat on. Yeah, I think... For a second there, right, especially after the Arizona win, there was a lot of talk about the NCAA tournament. It's just absolutely exploding from a very down year into what could be a very good year. And while I still, while the Utes are probably most likely not going to the tournament, I still think the NIT is a successful season, especially after the type of rebuild that Craig Smith has had to go through. Um you look at the type of teams Utah's played, right? You talk about the own four record against quad two, but like Utah's basically um, never really been counted out of a lot of games. I think the only one that really stands out is that UCLA game on the road because they didn't have Carlson. Like you don't really stand a chance. Um, and Carlson was putting up great numbers against USC, right? Like he had 21 points early in the second, but then just they shut him down after that. And because no one else can score, uh, the Utes lose that game by the final margin of 15. The key to this, like Utah's always going to show up defensively. Um, they're always going to have a pretty solid game on that side of the floor. Uh, but Utah just doesn't have shooters. Uh, and it, it all goes back to guard play. I just think that while Matson's just such a good shooter, you can rely on Marco Anthony in the mid range and, you know, to get rebounds, like the three point shooting is just not good for the Utes. And I feel like, you have to reward yourself for working hard on the defensive end. And it just seems like Utah's not really doing that. They're not rewarding themselves for playing good defense. And it just ends up, ends up as an egg on the other side of the floor. 
And so teams are able to keep it close. And while the opponent may be playing a crappy game on offense, like they're just still chipping away because Utah can't make anything on the other end. To the other point that you were saying, like I believe Utah can finish with a winning record in conference play. Um, I think they have some home stretches that are definitely winnable. And I, I just think that Utah has it within themselves to to make a run at this and potentially finish as still as probably a top four team in the conference. Um, they're, I think USC, Utah, and Oregon are really kind of on the same level. Um, their overall records are fairly similar. Um, although USC and Oregon both beat Utah, um, I think they can, all three of those teams, um, I think at least one, if not two of those teams will finish in the top four of the conference um, at the end of the season. Uh, right now, Utah's five and three in conference play, um, but it's basically neck and neck for most of the conference, uh, just all around. Uh, UCLA has obviously separated themselves at seven and zero, as well as ASU at six and one. But then you go USC five and two, Utah five and three, Oregon four and three, Arizona four and three, Washington State four and four. Right, you got like a stretch there, and and U of A, I think that's surprising that they're four and three in conference play, uh, but I think. Obviously, they'll probably work their way up into the top four. But Utah's got a shot at this, right? They're five and three in conference. You have two very winnable games this weekend. That puts you at seven and three. I think they can definitely get a win in Corvallis on the road. Uh, that puts you at eight and three. Um, I don't think they win in, in Eugene right now, right? Let's just put that in as a loss. That's seven and four. You have that really easy home stretch. That I think Utah can win all three of those games. K right, potentially they get all three of those. Um, you're 11 and four. You have the Arizona schools on the road. Um, I could pencil those in as losses, right? They're both very good schools. You're going in 11 and six. You have both of the California schools at home to finish your home stand. Maybe the Utes get one of those. Maybe they get both. Um, but even if you lose both of those, right? Um, and even if you lose the Colorado game, like you still end up with a winning record in conference play. So it's very doable for the Utes, um, and maybe with that small but still winning record in the conference, you end up as a top-four seed. Like, what a huge win for Craig Smith that would be at the end of the season. And who knows? Maybe the Utes could be a very good team in the NIT tournament. Maybe they get a good seed. Um, I just think it all depends on how they play these games. Um, These rankings and these these net scores really come from, like, final scores. If the Utes, even if they lose, if they can just put up a fight in every game, I think they'll be fine. And Utah can have a great season. And I just think if Craig Smith can focus on getting elite shooters as well as another elite big man in the next recruiting cycle, Utah can be a force to be reckoned with um, going into next season and maybe looking to make that run to get back into the tournament. Um, But just looking immediately forward, Richie, what are you looking forward to in this next immediate homestand against the Washington State Cougars and the Washington Huskies? Yeah, um, these teams aren't aren't great. Uh, Washington State that we we beat them by two up there in Pullman. Um, we're currently on a they're currently on a three game win streak though. They did beat Arizona in Arizona. Um, they're kind of out of these two games. They're the team I'm more worried about. Last time we played them, they shot 32 percent from the field and 13 percent from three. I don't imagine that those numbers hold up. Um, they're led by their lead forward Muhammad Gway, I believe is how his name is pronounced. Um, he had a really good game last game. I think key for Utah in this game is going to be able to 
limit him and slow him down. He just was making a lot of plays. He had like four offensive rebounds. I think that's something that Utah can't afford this next time. Um, this one though, if they if they win this one, this is gonna this one's gonna sting. I think Utah, you know, beating them at their place, you're gonna go into this game and feel like you maybe have the upper hand on them. However, they're gonna want to do the same thing to you. And I really think this game has some big implications for the Pac-12 field um, as a whole going down the line. I think this one is definitely one to keep an eye out on. Um, the Washington one on Saturday is a little bit different, though. They're currently 3-5 and five in t- Pac-12 play. They haven't been great. Um, they're led by their senior forward, Keon Brooks, who's averaging 16-7 and seven on the year, pretty solid. Um, they're a really good shot-blocking team. They've got tons of size in the middle. Uh, however, what they have in size, they lack in a lot of other aspects of the game. They don't have a ton of shooting. They don't have amazing guard play. They're okay. Um, I think this game is going to come down to Utah being able to fort, being able to shoot from outside. Uh, that's kind of the theme I've been going with this podcast is I just really think Utah's outside shooting is going to be key for them to beat some of these teams um, in the Pac-12. Utah, I feel like they're a really good team at home, though. They've played well at home. Uh, that Oregon game obviously was brutal. But overall, they've had a positive record at home. And, you know, if you come out with these two, if you come out with wins in both of these games, this Thursday and this Saturday game, you're going to be really happy about where you're at in the Pac-12. Um, realistically speaking, with like within the Pac-12, you probably only have two tournament teams, maybe three. and Heck, Arizona's kind of playing themselves out of that conversation. It's just, it's a down year for the Pac-12. It's pretty widely talked about within college basketball. Um, It would be pretty rare to see a third or fourth team sneak in as the Pac-12 has had in the past. So I I don't know. I don't think that there's going to be a ton of um, talk about a third or fourth team. However, if Utah does finish third or fourth, they're definitely going to be um, within consideration. And I think that's something you want to be as this Utah squad. Um, I really think the NIT would be just a great thing. And these two games this week are a really good place to start. If you're the starting youth squad. Should be exciting. And hopefully youths can get two wins this weekend before we head into our draft segment, just an update. Uh, the NBA just released their rookie ladder and Walker Kessler has put himself in the top five. Um, I know he's probably not going to catch up to uh, to Banchero or or Matherin, but hey, Walker Kessler, top five rookie right now. So that's pretty impressive. That That is really impressive. Uh, who's three and four? Is it Jalen Williams and Jaden Ivey? Wow, right on the money. Look at this. This is this is why you're, this is why you're here, Richie. You're the professional. <laughs> like you just know what you're talking about. I, I I'm just I just listen to stuff around the league, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the listener, great listener. But like I said before, we got our draft segment right now. Richie mentioned it earlier: top five musicians, top five musical artists. So this, this one's good. Like, there's a lot of options. I feel like the uh, the draft board is almost limitless. Um, it, it spans from you know Young Gravy to Miley Cyrus. Um, maybe go a little go a little old school, right? I, I don't know, but let's, let's see what happens here. Um, is it, do I have the first round pick this, this week? Dude, you have the first pick. Ooh. All right. Um, I, I gotta go with, with 
presumably the greatest band of all time with with the number one pick i'm gonna go with the beatles Ooh, ooh, i like that yeah so, so that's gonna be my number one well well done well done um i'm going with my number one i'm going with michael jackson i think michael jackson is gonna be somebody i don't know he's gonna he's obviously already in the beatles status where he's played forever he's gonna be played forever i just think here, here's where here's where I feel like he's worth a number one pick is the song Thriller. Just because that's like the only Halloween song from the last whatever many years that's been popular. And I think it's going to stay popular. Um, that's kind of a theme with some of my choices. But just because of that, I'm taking Michael Jackson number one. Dude, Thriller is one of the greatest of all times. Michael Jackson is... The king of pop, man. You you got this on lock. That's a great, great first pick. Great first pick. Um, I'm gonna go with another king. Um, the man who resides in Graceland, the legend himself. I'm gonna go with Elvis Presley um, at number two. Um, legendary voice. Dude's got it. He's got the moves. He's got the outfits. I, I just think he brings the juice and a vibe. I, the Beatles, you know, they kind of started out a little conservative. Then they went super hippie, dude. So I got, I got the hippies. I got Elvis, man. I, I think I'm off to a good start. So that's gonna be my number two. That's a, that's a really good pick. Um, I'm pretty jealous of that. I think I'm gonna go pretty old school here. Um, maybe even a little bit more old school than Elvis and the Beatles. With my number two pick, I'm taking Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Um, <laughs> he's he's no, got he eight. Didn't. 800 songs man he's just he's he's an inspiration he this guy was will chamberlain before will chamberlain that's that's all i gotta say about the man dude you just did that like you just did that holy I did cow that that's, I'm, I'm proud of it that's the Steeler pick right there that wasn't even <laughs> on my board I, I i just wasn't thinking i wasn't thinking at all holy cow what a pick all right um geez like I'd like to go Beethoven, but you know what? I'm going to go with a modern Beethoven. How about the man who provides us with just all the music of our favorite films, our favorite series? I'm going to go with John Williams at number three. Oh, dude, really, really good pick. Yeah, I, I just think I just think he's got it on lock, dude. Like, he's going to die a legend. He's going to die a legend. So that, that's going to be my number three. Who are you taking between John Williams and my next pick, Hans Zimmerman? Oh, dude, I I had Hans Zimmer as uh, at, at the four, dude. He was he was coming in there. Here's the thing. I think I think I want them to. They can like compose different parts of your life, right? Like John Williams, like you want that for like dramatic entrances, like 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 champions. Like he just wrote the theme song for college football national championship. You know, it's kind of like glory. You know, he's just got that down. Like, he just knows how to use those trumpets. Dude's got it unlocked. Hans Zimmer, like, dude knows how to use an orchestra for, like, intense moments, right? You think about, like, Interstellar. Dude, heck, even in, like, Kung Fu Panda, like, dude just knows how to do it. I'm sorry if I offended you by referencing Kung Fu Panda before his other works of art. Um, <laughs> but, like, Man of Steel, like, Hans Zimmer, he's just got it down. So so that would have been my four, but nice, nice pick. That's a good one. Um, okay. Oh, dang. This is tough. See, I passed up like a lot of options at the two, three, but at the four, 
I'm gonna go with. I'm not not as old as as Mozart. At the four, I'm gonna go with Frank Sinatra. I mean, Dang. he's got he's got one of the best voices of all time. Again, classics that'll last a lifetime. So that that's gonna be my fourth pick. I, I feel pretty strongly about that one now. I like that. That's that's a really good pick. Um, with my four pick, I'm taking none other than Eminem, the man from Michigan. I just have you ever seen the movie Eight Mile? I have never seen the movie Eight Mile, dude. It it's a really good movie. The guy has bars. Like that's all you gotta know. That's all you gotta know about him. I just think he's such a lyrical artist. Um, his and most of all, like in my opinion, his lyrics are very memorable. Uh, I think that's what does it for me. But yeah, I'm taking Eminem at the at the number four spot. That is a fantastic pick. I think you just picked like the father of like every different type of music. Um, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, okay. Uh, this is, this is a, this is a doozy for my fifth. Um, okay. I'm going to go with, uh, another classic band all timer. I'm going to go with queen queen at the five. Um, I think those guys have songs that will last for the end of time. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, another one bites the dust. Like, Dude, they, we will rock you. Like they got it all. So, a, a personal favorite of mine is Bicycle, um, but Queen's got it on lock. So I got them at the five. Dude, really, really, really good pick. Um, I I can't believe I'm doing this. My number oh, five pick. No way. I'm, yeah, no way, man. I'm taking Mariah Carey. Based solely on All I Want for Christmas is You. One of the top grossing songs of all time. And a song that honestly will be probably remembered as long as Christmas is around. Like, think about it. Do, do you listen to Michael Jackson every year? Do you listen to some of these guys like at least once a year? Maybe, maybe not. However, you guaranteed listen to Mariah Carey at least like 14 to 15 times a year based on how much that song is played in the radio. She ushers in the holiday season. Like she is, she is like the angel Gabriel, dude. She, she brings in Christmas. (laughs) Dude, she's, she trumpets us in, man. Oh, what a, what a pick. I, (laughs) I thought you were going Kanye right there, but I was like, Oh no, I'm not, I'm not that controversial. I'm not brave enough for politics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, but you can't you can't lie. The guy's got some bangers. The old Kanye got some bangers. Um, again, great picks all around. Um, hopefully we can keep coming up with some good content for you guys in terms of the draft segment. But thank you all for listening. That's it for this week's edition of the Thatcher Effect. Please have a good week, and we'll see you guys next episode.